Year's Resolution kinds of people in the room. Um, yeah, Joan? You haven't seen New Year's in 50, I forget, years, but every year there's a new resolution. I love that. There's a certain optimism to it, right? Uh, I've been talking with people as I'm getting to know you as a church, and uh, you know, I've been asking folks as the New Year comes closer and closer, uh, it, if that's the case, oh, do you have any resolutions? Do you have anything you're kind of looking forwards to or you're hoping to do something new perhaps this year? And uh, a surprising number of you have said, well, you know, if I want to do something, I do it. It doesn't really matter what the date is, which I, th I think is fair. <laughs> but at least for me and for Joan, she's with me on this, at least for us, Joan, <laughs> there is something about these moments of endings and beginnings that lead me to stop and take an inventory, right? To stop and think about what I have done in the past year. And um, in that process, usually, at least for me, there's some kind of moment where I think through this idea of like, well, is there something or perhaps this is what I would have liked to have done that's, that's different, that's other than what I did do. And, uh, and usually that somehow forms its way into something resembling a resolution. Maybe I want to try to you know, I remember one year it was, I want to create more and consume less. I feel like I watched too much and I didn't make enough. So that was like a resolution. Very vague, but that was my resolution for that year. That's sort of a thing as I kind of reflect on the year. Well, if you're here last Sunday morning, uh, not in the evening. In the evening, we had our wonderful candlelighting service. In the morning, we had our gathering, and it was, uh, it was just a time for people to bring forward reflections and to join in worship and praising and uh, it was a beautiful opportunity, actually. I didn't really think of it that way, but as I was looking back at it and talking with you folks, uh, it was a beautiful opportunity for us to look back and reflect on 2023, on what has happened in the last year, on where God has been working and moving as this year is coming to a close. And as I've been preparing for today's sermon, I couldn't help but have in my mind the reality of today being New Year's Eve, of looking forward then. We spent last week kind of looking back at God's faithfulness and hearing these stories and worshiping. And then this week we get to look forward of what's to come. And, uh, and I just think that it's kind of funny that it's on that day and when all of this was planned months ago, you know, the sermon series and how we're going to break it all up and Advent and those things, that all that will <laughs> go uh, on today when so many people are dreaming about doing things differently and considering the changes that they might like to implement in their lives, that on a day like that, we find ourselves finishing up the book of Philippians with Paul's comments and writings on contentment. Isn't that kind of funny? <laughs> when, I think about, when I think about growth or new beginnings or goal setting or just New Year's in general, what comes into my mind is certainly not contentment. I start thinking about the exact opposite, discontent right? What is it that I could change? What could I do better? How can we get more and better out of what we have? Because, and this is the fear, the fear is that if I'm just content with things as they are, then why would I ever want to grow, right? And if I look around me at young kind of movers and shakers, and you know, this seems to kind of be the ethic of our day today. The reminder is to replace your scrolling time with micro-learning, right, so that you can maximize your productivity, or, or maybe, I don't know if you've heard of this one, polyphasic sleep, you know, all the greats apparently, instead of sleeping eight hours at night, they would sleep in one and a half hour intervals, and then they get more work done throughout the day, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> there's some, some new way, it seems, coming out all of the time, you know, when you're in fast, whatever it is, there's some new trend of a way to hack your body, 
right? So that you can get more with the same somehow. Seems like a great deal. <laughs> everything we do, everything you can do, this is what the movers and shakers, you know, this is what it's all about. Anything you can do to get that little bit extra on your way to greater levels of productivity. For these folks, contentment is the enemy, right? Stagnance. I don't know if you know this, but um, a while ago, you might have seen in the news that the company Instant Pot, anyone, everybody have an Instant Pot? I think like most of us probably have an Instant Pot, yeah. <laughs> if you didn't buy it for yourself, someone bought it to you, for you on an Amazon Prime Day sale, thought you needed it. Um, we use ours, we love it. Um, they went bankrupt. Can you believe it? So many people have them. What a great product, it's great, everybody loves it. They're going bankrupt. And essentially, the reason they went bankrupt is because the product was too good. There aren't any moving parts, they don't break, so they sold a whole bunch of these excellent dependable products, and then once everyone who really wanted one had purchased one, they died. That was it. And the lesson was, if you're not growing, you're dying. <laughs> if you aren't making something new, if you aren't doing something different, you're dying. And it's funny because as I look around at this ethic of work harder, do more, go faster, be better, and then I look back at the world of the Bible and the time when these letters were being written, I realize that, you know, the, the book of Ecclesiastes is very right when it says that there is nothing new under the sun. The passage that we're engaging with today, I think, is speaking to very similar situations. We've talked about it a bit um, but we've been away from Philippians for a while so, during Advent, so if you'll give me just like a couple minutes, I'm just going to do a quick refresher, so we're all on the same page coming into this. So this is, we're reading out of a book of Philippians. This is the last section. We've been journeying through Philippians for a while now. It's our last section, and this is a letter that Paul was writing to the church in Philippi, and he was writing it while he's in prison in Rome. And he's just received a gift for them. And while he's in prison, they've, they've sent him this gift to help him. And it's been a big help to him in the situation that he's experiencing. So he wanted to express his gratitude. So he sent this letter over with some words of advice to the church um, that, he, that he had helped to plant. This is a church that he loved. He'd helped to plant it right from the beginning. And so in our passage today, he spends some time talking about that gift that they'd given him and expressing his gratitude. Now, there are a lot of themes that end up repeating through the letter of Philippians. Right? And if you, if you think about it, if you've you know, grown up in the church, you've probably heard Philippians is the joy book. Joy is a repeated theme in the book of Philippians. And, and you know, along with joy often comes gratitude. Right? Gratitude is like the fertilizer of joy in our lives, and so there's lots of talk about gratitude. But woven through all of that is one particular ethic, and this is what we've talked about. One, there's one way of thinking about all of the different things that Paul discusses in this letter, and it's this. And I think that it's helpful for us to keep this in our mind as we come to the end of this letter. So the ethic that Paul is proposing is this. He says, everything is in and through and for Jesus. I'll say it again. This is the ethic of the book. He writes about all kinds of different stuff, but across the board, everything that he writes, it's everything is in and through and for Jesus. That's the ethic or, like, or the philosophy that Paul is presenting to the church in Philippi. This isn't, you know, this isn't just because he thinks that it's a, a great idea. I mean, it is. It's a great idea. But he's actually writing this specifically to them because they, in the place where they are, are constantly being bombarded with other ways of thinking. Other ways of thinking about the world. Regularly, so Philippi was a colony of Rome. So regularly, people would have been going, they had a public forum. 
right? As you would in any good Roman city. They had a public forum, and people would have been going into this public forum and debating philosophies. This is one of the big things that would have been happening around town. And they would be trying to convince one another about how they should live. And we haven't talked about this before, but actually it's important for understanding of the passage today. One of the main philosophies of the day, there were two main philosophies. One was Stoicism, and the other was Epicureanism. Okay, two big philosophies in Philippi at the time when Paul was writing this letter. Um, Stoicism and Epicureanism. Epicureanism was basically the pursuit of pleasure. Uh, there's more complexity there, uh, but this is not a philosophy lecture. Uh, if you're really into philosophy, you're probably cringing right now. I'm sorry. We can talk about it afterwards. I'm happy to. But Epicureanism, basically a form of hedonism. It, you know, it's got its own nuance, but it's really about the pursuit of pleasure. And the other big one, this is the one that matters for our understanding of today's passage, is called Stoicism. Stoicism, again, we're, we're not going to get into the nitty-gritty, but Stoicism was all about this pursuit of what was called like a life well-lived. That was the goal, a life well-lived. And the question became for debate, the question for debate, it always became, what is a life well-lived? How do I partake, how do I have a life well-lived? What does a life well-lived look like? And different philosophers would make their case. And it, it usually had to do with living out a certain set of virtues. So we'd have these virtue lists. And if you lived out these virtues, then you would have a life well lived. And at the end of it really was this idea of self-sufficiency, right? The person who lived these virtues out would experience the good life. And they would be rock solid. So even if difficult things arose in their life, they wouldn't really be moved by it because they're living out these virtues and it gives them this strong foundation and they get to experience the good life. That's, that's kind of the ethic of this stoicism in this time because they've got it all figured out, right? That's the idea. Everything is dependent upon their own will. They have in their hands the power to make choices that will get them from where they are into the good life and it will keep them there. That was stoicism. So if you would imagine with me for a moment that you, that we, all here together, that we're a part of the church in Philippi, and we're hearing these sorts of messages all the time. Everywhere you go, people are talking about this. Everywhere you go, this is the ethic of the day, right? They're being bombarded with this message, right? Everywhere you go, someone is telling you, if you do this, then, then you're going to be happy. If you just do this thing. Right? And they're saying, well, if you, if you do this thing and then, then no one will be able to steal your happiness. I know it must be so hard to imagine that, right? Like nothing like that ever happens to us when we scroll our social media or anything like that, right? You never hear messages like, if you just buy this product, then you're going to be, or if you just, you know, start meditating for X amount of time, or if you just do this thing or that thing or cut out those toxic people or whatever it is, we never hear messages like that. So I know you really have to use your imagination, Right? But, but just imagine it with me. You're hearing these messages all of the time. People are, people are out there and they're saying, I've got the secret, right? I've got the hack that's going to get you from where you are into the good life. And they're going to sell it to you, right? For just that nice price of $9.99 plus tax. And so this is where we're living, right? And then we get a letter from Paul. Paul, this missionary, he came, he helped set up our church. We love him, we appreciate and value him. We're so excited to hear from it. And so we gather together as a church, right? This is what they would have done. We gather together as a church. And we probably would have had a meal. 
and then we're here, and, and, the, and they pull out the letter, the leader of the local church, they pull out the letter, and they start reading it aloud for all of us. And, and there's been some good stuff, right? You know, you may, maybe you're taking some notes, I don't know, you're like, oh, I, I gotta remember that, you know, oh, God. whatever. And, then, and so then it's getting towards the end, and it seems like he's wrapping up, and he's thanking them for their gift again, right? And that's verse 10, that's where we started today. And then he says, I'm not thanking you because I'm in need. Wait a minute, what do you do? Okay, a little different. And he says, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what, it's to be, what it is to be in need, and I mean, currently he's sitting in prison, so of course he knows that, right? And then he says, I know what it is to have plenty, and I mean, he was a Pharisee, the Pharisee of all Pharisees, he calls himself. So he was born in the right kind of family, so he also, that's also true. And then he says, I have learned the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I've got the secret. That's what he says to them. And we're sitting here, right? So you're imagining it. We're all sitting here. We're hearing this read to us. And immediately, right, instantly, our minds are going to be drawn to all of the people we have heard telling us that they have the secret right? All the other people, we go out into town, we hear people saying in the public forum, in their debates, no, I have the secret. No, I have the secret. This is the way into the good life. Immediately, your head goes there. Immediately, it sounds to you like Paul is just, you know, reciting to you stoic philosophy. And so then you've got an expectation of what's going to come next, right? So we would all be expecting the next words in that letter to be read aloud to be a virtue list, a list, here's your, here's your seven rules or your 12 rules, this is the way, this is the secret to being content all the time. If you do these things, you've got it. Like that's what all of us would be expecting. And maybe, perhaps it would even be a, a repeat, you know, a repetition of the virtue list that he had just read to us before. Right? Maybe you remember it, this was Tim's sermon, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, that whole vir- that's a virtue list. That was in this form of a virtue list. So we've just had one, so maybe he's just going to go back to that and we just fix our minds. That's the secret. Perhaps that's it, right? That's what they would have been expecting from Paul. You know, this is the, here's the seven rules. Here's the 12 rules that you need to follow and then you're going to be able to be content in all circumstances. But he doesn't give them that, Right? Instead, this is what he says. It's a very famous verse, Philippians 4.13. He said, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. Would have been a lot easier if he gave us a list, wouldn't it? (laughs) Yeah, you think so? We kind of have to stop and think because he says, I've discovered the secret. And then he goes into doing all things through Christ. And part of me, when I first read it, it kind of lurches, and I think, well, why, where's the secret? He just moved on to a new idea, right? I've heard that verse before. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I've heard that one before. Where was it? It's like there's like a part missing of the manuscript. I was supposed to get the list of things to do, and then he would say, yeah, and we can do all of it, right? Why didn't he tell us the three-part formula, the new virtue list, the new way to hack my brain? But the more time I've spent with the passage, the more that I am convinced that this verse... Philippians 4.13, I can do all things, I can do everything through him who gives me strength, that, that this is the secret. This is the secret 
Paul's secret to being content in all circumstances. Whether, whether we have plenty or we are in want, and it is keeping in with the ethic of this entire letter that he's written. Everything in and through and for Jesus. Even my contentment in and through and for Jesus. Even my contentment finds itself not in a list of things to do, even my entry into the good life. It's not in a list of things to do. It's in Christ, right? So I, I, I prepared this sermon while going through uh, the, uh, the whole process that I'd created for our preaching cohort. We've done this preaching cohort, Tim and Jen, and, and Ron's got a sermon that's coming in January I'm really excited for. Um, we did this cohort, and, and we journeyed together over a series of weeks, and we kind of talked about our processes and what were we learning from the passage. And, um, and to be honest, I was really proud of myself when I came to our final group meetings. I had this quote in the front that I found in a commentary, and I was like, this explains it. We got the answer. Nailed down, right? Uh, and I really do like this. I find it helpful. This is what the author said. He was writing about this verse, and he said um, that with regards to this section— Paul is borrowing from the familiar Stoic philosophy, and then he twists it to make it into something uniquely Christian. And this is the quote. He said that while, while Stoicism says that we are supposed to be self-sufficient, he said as followers of Jesus, we are not supposed to be self-sufficient. We are supposed to be Christ-sufficient. I'm going to say it again because I think it really sums up the big idea here very well. He said we're not supposed to be self-sufficient. We are supposed to be Christ-sufficient sufficient. And I, I brought that to the preaching cohort, and, and, and they brought up a really helpful question, <laughs> which, which I'm so grateful that we did this together as a team. They brought up a really qu- helpful question. They said, well, that's a really nice slogan. Let's not be self-sufficient. Let's be Christ-sufficient. What does it mean? <laughs> How do I do that? Uh, I think that's a profoundly helpful question, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time today. I think, that, uh, I think that Paul actually gives us an example of what this means in his own writing, in the next little bit of the chapter, um, in his own, out of his own life. And then, uh, so we're going to talk about that, and then I'm going to try to exta- extrapolate with some examples from within our church, maybe my own life, uh, of what does this look like to live not as people who are self-sufficient, but actually as people who are Christ-sufficient. Does that sound good? Yeah? Got some nods? Excellent. So let's, let's start with the rest of the passage, because it's actually kind of funny to me how it plays out. I don't know if you noticed it when Peter, <laughs> Peter was reading it, so it's, it's really interesting. So after Paul's pronouncement about his Christ sufficiency, he gets himself into this like, strange kind of dance. I don't know if you've ever done this like, in a conversation with someone, um, where you just need to be really precise with your language, because if you say it wrong, you're going to offend them right? Have you ever been in that situation? He's received this wonderful gift from the church in Philippi for which he is deeply grateful. But he also wants to communicate to them that it is God who provides all of his needs. And so he would have been totally fine if they hadn't given him anything, which is kind of not the night, like, thank you for your gift, but I also would have been fine without it. Like, that's kind of what he's trying to say. So before all the statement in the, in, in, that we read today, uh, before all of that, the first thing that was read was, he said, I'm not thanking you because I'm in need. So he leads with that, right? He says, because I can be content in any circumstance. But then he continues afterwards. He jumps back and he goes, but it was good for you to share in my troubles. I don't want to say that it's not. And then he specifically commends them for taking up that mantle that other churches didn't at the time. And he talks about how generous they were and, and what a gift it was to him. 
But then in verse 17, he comes back and he feels like he needs to make sure that he's being clear. And then he writes, he says, not that I desire your gifts. <laughs> not that I wanted you to give me anything. He said, but, but well, I actually do have a desire that, that you be credited for your gifts that, that because you've done something good. So he's doing this back and forth, like you know, almost putting his foot in his mouth kind of thing. So he's, and, and, and again, he's reminding them that he, he doesn't need or want their gift, but also that he's deeply grateful to them. And then he finally sticks the landing in verse 18 <laughs> when he says how the gifts they gave, what they really are, is a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that was pleasing to God. And I, I, first, I think it does sound like he's being kind of ungrateful, right? But then I don't, I don't think that's his intention. That's why he kind of goes back and forth and trying to make the comment and then take it away and then make it again. I think that he's trying to explain to them the great faith that he has, the living out of this Christ sufficiency in his life. Because here's, here's what he thinks. He, he trusts that if he needed it, as he's walking in what God has called him to do, that if he needed it, God would provide it. And if it wasn't the church in Philippi, it would have been somebody else. Such is his great faith. He lives in total dependence. But not on people, right? He lives in dependence on God. And that's why he can be content. He can be content because he's not dependent upon fallen humans. That's not where the buck stops, right? He is dependent on God. For some time in Paul's ministry, God made a way for him through Paul's own labor, right? For Paul was a tent maker. He earned his own income and he went and did this ministry. And then later, God raised up churches to support his work. But all the while, Paul knows, trusts, believes that it has been God who has been providing for him. And he trusts that God will continue to provide for him as he seeks to follow God wherever he's led. His conviction is that if God calls him to a place, then God will give him what he needs to be there. And I think that's the secret of Paul's contentment. It's the idea that he's living in grace, right? that the buck doesn't stop with him. He's, he's not living under the law. You're going to have enough as long as you do X, Y, Z. He's living fully in God's grace. Like for, forget about money and finances for a while because I think our heads can get all screwy when we think about those things in these examples. I think a lot of us treat our faith in this way. Like we act like our salvation even if we intellectually know it's not the case, we act like our salvation is something that we earn, that we need to work towards rather than something that we receive with gratitude. Do we desire to grow and mature in our faith? Of course we do. Of course we long for that. But if we keep trying to do that in our own strength, if we keep trying to figure out the right set of rules to keep ourselves on the straight and narrow, what we're doing is putting on chains, not taking them off, right? And the gospel is a message of freedom, of deliverance, of new life, springs of flowing water, bursting forth. Living in the way that Paul is describing, whether it's in reference to our material needs or our spiritual ones, this is what he's talking about is living by faith. So Paul gets himself tied up in a bit of a knot 
because he simultaneously wants to bring a message of gratitude because he's so grateful for what this church has done to them. They've done something wonderful, but he also wants them to hear the message of grace. He wants them to be released from chains, right? Because actually his sustenance is not their burden to carry. It's God's. And God might call on them to be a part of what he's doing in Rome, but it's God's ministry. It's not his. It's not the ministry of the Philippians. It's not the ministry of Paul. It is the ministry of Jesus, right? The buck doesn't stop with them. It stops with him, right? This is living not as a self-sufficient person, not as somebody who's figuring out and resourceful to get all of the stuff to figure it out all for themselves. This is a life of faith that is dependent on Christ. This is a Christ-sufficiency. So that's the idea in Paul's writing and that topsy-turvy kind of thing that happens in this back half of this last chapter of his letter as he's trying to describe to them this grace. But what about us? What does it look like for us today? Well, if you're here last week or at, at maybe at some of our other gatherings where we've invited people to come and share testimonies and stories, you would have heard people talk about moments where they have stepped out in faith. There's a lot of those stories in our church where people have stepped out in faith. Someone shared about starting to come to our church and how they weren't quite sure why, but they felt like God was calling them into this area, and so they came. And God has provided beautifully for them in this place, in our church. What a blessing, right? That we got to be a part of that gift that was given, but it wasn't us providing it. This is God's provision for them, right? They stepped out in faith. They said, I don't know why, but I think this is where God wants me to be, and so I'm going to follow. I'm going to try to be obedient and trust that my God will provide for my needs. There's contentment in that. Even for Raven and I, right? Like, we felt like God wanted us up in this area. We didn't know why. <laughs> um, and so we hummed and hawed for like six months. We weren't sure where we were going to, where we were going to be. And then we finally said, let's jump. And so without jobs or real prospects and everybody thinking we were crazy, we moved up here, right? Who does that? Who goes, you know what, I'm going to move to Owen Sound. I think it's just a great place. Apparently, we didn't know that, but apparently that's like a said nobody ever kind of thing. Um, <laughs> but it wasn't long before connections were made and doors were open. But this was a Christ-sufficiency ask of us. Like we, we, what was asked of us was trust. We said, well, we think this is where God wants us. And so we're going to go. And then we didn't just sit idle. Like, I applied for a bunch of jobs. I got a job at the post office. Right? We, we, like, we took steps. We were like, okay, God wants us to be here. Let's find what he wants us to do here. But in, in self-sufficiency, it's our job to carry all of that ourselves. Right? In Christ-sufficiency, we step out and trust. The buck doesn't stop with us. And, and you know, there's a... There's an allure to that self-sufficiency, right? Because if, if we carry it all ourselves, it means at least we have the illusion of control, right? We feel like, well, I can figure this out or I can put this, like, there's control there. To live in that way, the way that Paul says leads him into contentment wherever he goes, to live in that way means sometimes to step out in faith and trust. And I don't know what exactly that might look like for you in your season, in your time, in your place right now. But as we look towards a new year tomorrow, 
And as we hope for, for some things to be new or to be different than they currently are, as we're feeling the discontent that drives us towards creating resolutions and all of those sorts of things, I just want to encourage you, just for a moment even, as you're, as you're just to take a, a bit of time to reflect and to ask God what he might be inviting you into, where he might be asking for a small step of faith, where you, where you would be able to, to believe, maybe a place in your life where perhaps you could believe that the buck doesn't stop with you but with him, and to allow, allow that to impact the actual choices that you make in your day-to-day life. And I, and I just wonder what he would do. Because I, I know for Raven and I, like as we look at our story, I know the stories that we've heard and people in our church share, like he goes above and beyond. So like us being here has been such an incredible blessing. It's something we could not have even like imagined for ourselves. The way that God has like shaped and brought that together in such a beautiful way. We are part of this healthy, wonderful church. Um, he's gone so far beyond what, you know, my striving and gritting my teeth and optimizing and self-hacking things could have ever gotten me to, right? So I'm, I'm, conf- I'm, I'm curious what God might be challenging you, where he might be inviting you to step out in faith and what it might look like to try to be in that situation, in that circumstance, not self-sufficient, but Christ-sufficient, to trust that the buck stops with him. Now, I don't have a promise for you that it will be easy, <laughs> It doesn't come with a promise that it will be easy. But as I look at our story, I really, I don't think I could have written something better if I tried. So we're going to respond today. We're going to respond today with a song. We're going to sing, yet not I, but through Christ in me. And this is a song that helps us to remember this very idea, that it isn't our own strength or wisdom or hard work or anything else. All that we have is through our Lord. And I hope Here's my hope, that this is a message of relief to you, and it is a message of relief for you, even as we went into, as we enter into the year of 2024, yeah, that you would carry that relief with you. So let's rise and let's sing together. gift of grace is Jesus my Oh!
Let's pray. God, thank you for this. For this gift that the buck doesn't have to stop with us. That actually we can trust in you. In your goodness. God, I pray that we would find our needs met in you. And that you would be the place that we went with our needs. Lord, I pray that you would encourage and embolden us in our faith with a, with a remembrance of how good you are. That we would be able to cling to that truth of your goodness and to believe forward with faith and trust that you will, that you will continue to be good, to be loving. Lord, uh, as we we come to the end of this year as we look forward to the next God I just pray that we would look forward that we would dream in a way that that is attentive to who you are and attentive attentive to your will and desire for us help us to walk in step with you following closely behind you listening closely for your voice speak into our hearts we ask this in your name amen and I'll just leave you today with the words that Paul had, and I guess I'll leave you this year, with the words that Paul had for his benediction for the church in Philippi. He wrote that, the, he said, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Blue Mountain Community Church Podcast. May God's word fill you up this week. God bless.